this is Vanderbilt Business, and I'm Kara Shear. Class of 2004 alum Dave Arati hasn't had your typical MBA career. He entered the music business right after graduating and eventually launched his own startup in the industry called Three Quarter. He caught the entrepreneurship bug, and a few years after that, he launched a second business, this time a wine label. We sat down with Dave to talk about his unusual career and find out more about both of his companies. Among many other topics, he discusses working with major artists such as Pharrell and Kanye, as well as making his own rosé before it became such a trend. Hi everyone, I'm here today with David Irati, one of our MBA graduates. He started not one, but two businesses and is going to tell us a little bit more about those today. So to start off, Dave, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I was Owen, class of 04, currently living in Venice, California, husband, father, entrepreneur, and have been working on the entrepreneurship in the music business. Speaking of entrepreneurship in the music business, I know that the first company that you started three quarter is sort of like a record label, but not really. So can you explain what it is exactly? I call it an artist accelerator. And put simply, we offer recording artists the services they need to scale their businesses. So sometimes that includes being a record label, but the focus is really about strategic execution of business objectives. And oftentimes, we start our relationships with artists by defining that objective. Artists don't talk that way, of course. But also, they don't make their art to sell records. They make their art to build businesses. Records are just kind of a step along that path. Maybe some context for the non-music folks. In the old music business model, an artist would sell their music, which is an intellectual property asset, to a record label. And they really did that because they got two things. They got distribution, and they got promotion. And then when they went on tour, that's really just to help promote the sales of that music. Music was the product and has historically been the product. So the business deals that they cut and the structures that are in place or certainly that were in place when I got involved in the music business in 2004, 2005, you know, kind of helped fit that model. But now artists, they access consumers directly and music is becoming or has become really the driver of an overall business or overall brand. And so what they really need help with is determining, well, first, like, what is that business? And then how to build that business, who is going to build that business for them? And that's what we do when we come in at all levels, right? When there's a business that needs to be thought through and founded all the way through a business that is founded and approaching, in some instances, upwards of a billion dollars of market cap, and they need someone to come in and kind of restructure, organize, and scale. Artist services is the best way to describe it. So do you have any examples of favorite projects or clients you've worked on that you can talk about? Well, no favorites on the artist side. <laughs> That's like kids. If I yeah. I'll get in trouble if I say who's my favorite artist. But, you know, I would say from project standpoint, I want to say favorite, but certainly the most interesting recently would be the project we did Pharrell Williams. And I would say that because it kind of hit all the bases. I mean, I'm a fan of his music. I've been a fan since the NERD days. He's great. He's a great person. His team is great. They're very effective. They're great people. And I got to work with them to kind of conceptualize a business from scratch. We got to raise capital, build a team around a concept, and come in as a true partner of his in growing his business. The overall challenge was very fun, right? I mean, here's a guy who has global impact on consumers from music to fashion to culture. And kind of the idea or the question they had when we first met and talked about it was, I have all these businesses, I have all these revenue streams, I'm impacting all these people around the world. What do I do? Right? What's the business? 
So that was super fun because that was like case study question at Owen. You kind of assess the impact and the reach from a qualitative perspective and then try to put that into quantitative form and figure out, okay, well, what is the business, right? I think a lot of artists, there's a mistake, they're mistaken in that they have a lot of record sales, so they think they're a brand. And just because you sell a lot of records doesn't make you a brand, right? Or just because you have a brand or a vibe or things that are kind of intangible doesn't mean that there's a structured business that supports that. So this was a way to kind of come in with an icon that I admire and help them tackle all those problems and build something. So that's probably the most fun thing that we've done recently. So looking back, I know you were saying that you sort of jumped straight into the music industry right after graduating from Owen, so this wasn't new to you. And I'm just wondering, how did you get interested in music and the business in the first place? (laughs) In a very roundabout way. I was at Owen, actually, when I fell into the business. I came at the music business from the opposite of most people. Most people are college reps or are booking bands or in bands and kind of come out with that passion. I didn't. I was a writer, never a performer, but in Nashville, I kind of fell in with a crew of musicians, poets, rappers, jazz musicians, songwriters. Instead of uh, kind of blowing off steam down on Broadway, 2nd Avenue on the weekends, I would go out with these folks and I would listen, I would participate. And it became like a great counterweight to all the academics and all the rigor at Owen. And it became a creative outlet and I became friends with these people kind of fell into accidentally this world. And then on the business side of music, Music Row was two blocks from Owen. And we really didn't have any connections there. And this again, this was 03-ish. Kind of I met these artists. It kind of drove me into the creative part of music. And then that creative part, and given the proximity to the labels, it led me to do internships and make connections with Music Row and Nashville that we didn't have previously at Owen. So I know that you didn't jump straight into starting your own business right out of Owen. You kind of went and worked in the industry for a while first, but I'm wondering if getting your MBA in any way helped you to start three-quarter. Yeah, 100%. I like to think of the MBA as a toolkit. At Owen, you get a phenomenal amount of expertise and analysis, strategic thinking, financial tools. And I was a pre-med undergrad, so I didn't have a lot of kind of the basic especially on the finance side, capabilities and knowledge of how to build those tools and use those kind of analytics. So that was extremely helpful to me to have. But it's really kind of, again, it's a toolkit it's up to you to deploy them and how you want to deploy them. Practically speaking, right, when you're starting a business, it's competitive analysis, market analysis, you're building strat plans, you're building decks to raise money, you're building financial models for yourself and to raise money, and just figuring out things like burn rates so you know how long you can afford to pay your rent until you run out of cash in the early days. And then there's just the practical stuff, understanding business structure and tax, right? Are you forming an LLC or an S-Corp? So those types of practical things, I use starting the business. I'm still doing that for myself and my clients. And then also, like there's a lot of confidence. Right? I mean, one of the big things that, that any entrepreneur will tell you and for the, the advice that I got was being flexible and understanding that, that issues were going to arise and some of them would be small and some would be large and potentially catastrophic to the business. But I think having the confidence knowing that I had the knowledge and skill set to tackle these things was extremely helpful. It's certainly in just making the leap from record executive to the entrepreneur. Speaking of making the leap, I know after you started Three Quarter, you made a different leap and also started a wine label of your own. So I was wondering if we could kind of switch tracks a little bit and talk about that wine label. 
all kind of one track, right? Like, I mean, the, the thesis that I had when I was still working at Interscope Records as a major label, and the thesis I carried into three quarters, one thing that artists do more than anyone is that they identify and push new trends into the market. Some of these trends fade, and, and some of them make broader impacts. I mean, one of the things we did at Interscope was we started Beats by Dre Headphones, right, which is ultimately bought by Apple. But when we started it, they were oversized, over-the-ear headphones that were $400. So in 2007, 2008, I mean, that was an insane idea. But we built that. We watched our artists start to dictate the trend in audio products, and certainly, you know, in the headphone as kind of a fashion piece. And so for me in wine, I was watching around the same time, probably 2008, 2010, I was watching my artists, the young artists, drink more and more sparkling wine and rosé. In 2011, 2012, I was telling some winemaking friends about this trend and how I was saying that this was going to be kind of the next thing in wine. And again, it was a crazy idea in 2010 to say that young entry-level wine drinkers were going to be drinking sparkling wine and drinking rosé. But my wine friends kind of and I did a test run, and I think it was about 2012, we launched our first 30 cases, and we sold it all and drank it all in a matter of months. So we kind of knew we had something, and so we kind of then formulated a company and started to make uh, sparkling rosé. And then a couple years later, the market caught up to us, and yeah, we're off and running. I mean, I think two year and a half ago, there were rosé shortages in the Hamptons. And funny, I'll never forget the call I got from my investor who when I told him in 2012 I was going to make sparkling rosé, I thought I was crazy. And then he told me two years ago that his wife and his friends were in the Hamptons. The stores didn't have enough rosé, so we're certainly ahead of that trend. So I know that you said that you recently raised some money to expand your wine label, actually. And I'm wondering, how did you know it was time to kind of take that next step and take the business to the next level? It kind of goes back to that market validation. One thing about wine, we just kind of did a test run with some friends. I had analyzed the market, and I understood the trend was happening, but I didn't kind of go all in and raise a bunch of money. I just put my toes in. Once the market caught up to us, we became, and we still are, one of the only boutique domestic sparkling rosé manufacturers, that if we were going to kind of now ride the market, they were going to need some resources. So I spent the last couple of years refining the product, the aesthetics, the flavor profiles, the packaging, the design. And then the two biggest hurdles, probably for most product-based, but certainly any agricultural-based product business, your big things are the raw materials, financing those raw materials, and then the production. And those are kind of your big obstacles for, for growth that eat a lot of cash. So I focused on solving those problems. And once I did, and now I have direct partnerships with, with my producers as well as my raw materials providers, grapes in this case, I then went out to go try to secure financing to scale my staff and to think about the sales and distribution part of, of the business. And on the marketing side, my music is the marketing. So I have the music in place. I've had that in place for some time, and my artists are very interested in my wine, and they're helpful in kind of packaging design and marketing ideas. Again, I solved those two kind of business challenges. Now it's time to see if we can scale. So I know earlier we were talking about how you got into the music business, but I'm kind of wondering, how did you get into wine in general? Have you always been a wine guy, or was that more of a kind of recent hobby or taste you developed? First, it's pretty academic, right? I mean, it's kind of just recognizing the trend. I was sitting in offices in, I want to say 2006, when I had heard... Jimmy Ivey and my boss at the time, and then Bono were talking about drinking rosé in the south of France, and like that always stuck with me. I just thought, you know, I was the fly on the wall in this meeting, but I was just thinking, how strange, how weird, 
that these two people were sitting in the stature that they are, sitting and drinking rosé against step six in the south of France. So that kind of always stuck with me. And then again, watching my artists start to drink and watching my artists start to be more involved in sparkling, it kind of was an academic approach to the wine industry. And then it just became something where I run my own business now, so I try to kind of keep on the path of things that I enjoy, projects that I enjoy, things that I think I have that will be fun and that I have some level of passion for. So it was kind of a, a, a unique marriage of purely academic and trend analysis. And then who doesn't want to have a, used to go to Napa three or four times a year and drink and taste the wine uh, and expense it. So uh, <laughs> that's how it was born. That's not a bad gig. So I know that a lot of students in business school, MBAs and otherwise, hope to one day start their own business and you have started too. So I'm wondering if you just have any advice for those students or tips for them? There's kind of this, and it's a little bit cliche about being passionate about the businesses that you're going to begin. But I would say that to make sure that you, it's like what I say about music. People think that I love, love music. But I say I don't love music, I like it a lot. The businesses that you get into, you should not love, but you should like them a lot. So that you have the ability to start to make very rational decisions and changes and pivots that are going to be inevitable in your process without being tied down to some level of passion that may get in the way of making the smart and strategic decisions. So I would say that would be kind of my main piece of advice for the idea and the idea creation. And then other, and then secondarily, I mean, maybe, maybe it would be primary, it's just having the will to do it. I think a lot of it is just getting off the fence and jumping in. You know, you don't want to be silly and make foolish moves when you don't have the kind of finances or resources or the mental capacity to jump into the business. But I think understand that you'll never be in the perfect spot. There's never a perfect time to launch a business. There's never the perfect financial backing. There's never the perfect business plan. So it's just when you feel like you have the will and the strength mentally to do it, just do it. Other people are not going to be as big of believers as you and you'll kind of have these ups and downs experiences. But ultimately, even in the hard lessons that other people around you may call failures, you will find that they're learning experiences and what shape your business. So I would just say, I'm obviously in this discussion, you can tell I have a very high risk tolerance. <laughs> so maybe that's a prerequisite, but I say just jump in. That's great advice. I know since you manage two companies. I'm wondering if you specifically have any insights into time management, work-life balance, and just getting everything done when you have a lot to do. On the work-life balance side, and this may go back to the entrepreneurial advice, I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in doing things for work that are also a integral part of your life. For me, on the music side, you know, I have artists that call me at three in the morning because they're not feeling creative or, or they're on the road and they're feeling depressed. So I am engaged in my work in a way that most people are not. I think that's critical, right? I went on tour overseas, went to South Africa, Paris, and London with one of my bands. I brought my wife and my kids. For me, anyway, I feel like if you're doing things back to that, you like it a lot, <laughs> but don't necessarily love it you're able to kind of intertwine it with your life. That's kind of what I do. And sometimes, again, I'm up till three in the morning or I'm overseas. And other days, you know, I'm home till noon, walking my kids to school. So I think it's kind of, instead of trying to separate and, and put those barriers up, how do you eliminate those barriers and just make it all one kind of fluid process? And for wine, again, for wine, if you look at my company 
from outside, it looks like I do all of these very different things, right? I also have a technology company that I built that I haven't launched. I have an apparel company that I sit on the board of, and obviously the wine and, and multiple different genres of music. The intertwining factor is that, again, my artists are entrepreneurs. My artists are building and impacting markets, and my job is to help them do that. And so when I have a wine company, it's not a Merlot from Chile based on pedigree. It's a sparkling rosé that's bubbly and made to drink on Tuesday nights and cost 25 bucks, and all my artists drink it. My disparate activities on the surface actually fundamentally are, are all driven from that same thesis, which is that music is driving artist businesses. Those artist businesses are driving markets and having real-world impacts on markets and consumers, and then I'm lining up all of my projects behind that thesis. All right, last question. And I know you were kind of hinting at this a little bit with the technology company, but what's next on the horizon for you? In the short term, it's wine. That's the other thing is, as I mentioned, I do a lot of different things, but I only have one focus at a time, right? When I was building Pharrell's company, I was building Pharrell's company. When I was doing Kanye, I was just focusing on Kanye. The wine is my kind of short-term focus. Now that I'm raising capital and focus on the wine business, that is where my time will be spent. But outside of that, you know, I have a couple big records coming next year that I'm working on. I have a team of people working on. And then I think after the wine, it's going to be more of how do I scale my model, right? I work with a handful of artists and a couple product companies. I'm now expanding that out to some bigger household name artists and some larger companies. So I think on the horizon for me is I believe that I have substantiated that an artist services model is effective and necessary in the music industry. So how do I actually, instead of just scaling individual artists or individual products, how do I scale three quarters as a whole? Maybe 2020, that'll be my challenge. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dave. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been fun and great to connect. And uh, as I said, the Owen School definitely set me up to be successful in all of these endeavors. So I'm very grateful. Thanks to Dave again for his time. And thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about Owen's Graduate School of Management by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Editing is by Harim Yang, music is by Mike Foster, and I'm Kara Shearer.